Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And as you turn there, uh, if you are new with us, we have started a series a couple weeks ago called this, It's Personal. Really looking at the blessings and the benefits that God has given us through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And looking at that relationship with, with Jesus Christ as a personal thing. Oftentimes our relationship with Jesus Christ is described as personal, personal, and we can often hear that word and it kind of just loses its luster, but what we're doing in this series is to remind ourselves of the beautiful and amazing thing that God has done for every person who places their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that when you do that, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And personal, not in the sense of private, but personal in the sense of possession, that God gives you that. It is a gift. It's not of work so that you have anything to boast in in that reality, but that God has given you that relationship with him, a holy God, through Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and me. It's personal. And we started out this series by looking at the amazing reality that Jesus Christ is our boast. That I should not be boasting in my status, my strength, my stuff, which is so often the case and where I want to get my significance and where I want to get my self-worth, but my boast is in Jesus Christ because he's given me his stuff. He's given me his strength. He's given me his status before a holy God. Last week, we looked at the amazing reality that Jesus is our mediator, that he has bridged the gap between sinful humanity And a holy God. And in and of myself being sinful, there's no way that I can bridge that sin chasm between myself and a holy God. So God sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bridge that gap. We looked at that phrase and we repeated it many times. I can't, but Jesus did. The amazing reality that right now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can talk to him. And it's not because of you, but it's because Jesus is interceding on your behalf that you can talk to God whenever you desire. You can do it in your car, you can do it in the shower, you can do it right now, you can do it on your way home, whatever it is. And the only reason that's possible is because Jesus Christ is your mediator. You can't, but Jesus did. And so this morning, we're going to be in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. And before we get into Philippians 3, 7 through 11, I want you to venture back with me. Go back with me all the way back to 1988. Some of you are going to like to have to go back before you were born. I'm not sure how that would work. But go back with me all the way to 1988 because for me, I was 12 years old in 1988. And I remember the thing that I wanted more than anything else in 1988, being a 12-year-old boy, was this, a Nintendo. Like, I wanted that more than anybody else, more than anything else. Anybody else in the room remember the Nintendo? Like, you remember that? Now they've re-released this thing, and you can't buy it anywhere. Like, it's amazing. Everybody wants to relive their childhood. In 1988, man, that was the thing I wanted more than anything else. I believe that if I had this Nintendo, that my life would be complete. I really thought that as a 12-year-old boy. And I remember I wanted it so bad. And for whatever reason, my parents weren't able to get it. And I would ask at Christmas and I would ask for my birthday, please let me have a Nintendo. And I remember one glorious day 
where my grandparents came over and my grandfather gave me this box all wrapped up and I opened it up and man, guess what it was? It was a Nintendo. And I thought, man, my life will be complete. But here's the deal. It didn't come with any games. <laughs> and the game that was the game in 1988 was this game, Super Mario Brothers 2. Anybody remember that? Super Mario Brothers 2, like that was the hottest game out. And so I said to myself, my life will be complete if I only have the Nintendo and Super Mario Brothers 2. And so God bless my mother. She raised six boys. God bless her. But I remember I wanted Super Mario Brothers 2 so bad. And so my mother would call on the phone day after day after day to Toys R Us. Do you have Super Mario Brothers? No, we don't. It's sold out. Do you have Super Mario Brothers? No, it's sold out. But I think there's a truck coming, and if you get here right when the truck comes, then you can purchase it. And I remember going with my mom and being so excited that we were going to pick up Super Mario Brothers 2. My life was going to be complete. I was so excited. And we show up to Toys R Us, and there's a line wrapped around the store. And this is Florida. This is Orlando. And so I remember waiting in line with my mother, and God bless her, waited four hours for this game. But we conquered, and we got it. And for about a little bit of time, I thought, man, I was the, I was the greatest thing, and my life was absolutely complete. And you know, here's what's interesting. What motivated me to wait in that line for four hours, motivated me, not my mother. What motivated me to wait in that line for four hours in the hot, not complain, not matter that I was sweating, was that I saw so much worth in Super Mario Brothers 2. And because I saw so much worth in it, I was willing to do whatever it took to pursue it. And so here's the overarching idea that I want you to get today. And we're going to look at this as we look at this text this morning in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. It's this. Your perception of worth influences what you pursue. Your perception of worth influences what you pursue. And so we need to ask ourselves, and I encourage you to write this question right next to Philippians 3, 7 through 11 in your Bible. What do I place the most worth on in my life? What is it? Because as silly as it sounds, as a 12-year-old boy, it was a Nintendo and a video game. And I was willing to do whatever it took to get that. So my perception of worth definitely influenced what I wanted to pursue. And that's true of our lives today. My perception of worth influences what I pursue. So let's read verses 7 through 11 in Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 7. God says through Paul, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything. Say that. Everything. Say it again. Everything. I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Now here's what you need to understand. Paul is trying to get across how little he counts the things that's lost, that he literally uses a word there that back then would not have been uh, the most kind word. So just use your imagination on what you might think that would look like today. 
For his sake I suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as dog dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's the title of this message this morning. Jesus is my reward. Jesus is my reward. Say that together. Jesus is my reward. And so that's why I asked you before you even read this passage of scripture, what do I place the most worth on in my life? Because in this text, what we see Paul say, more than anything else, Jesus is his reward. And he's come to learn that. And so what I want to do this morning and the time that we have left as we walk through this text, verse by verse, is to ask this question, how do I have a proper perception of worth? If a proper perception of worth influences what I pursue, then how do I have that? I want to have a proper one. I don't want to be perceiving something that I think that has worth and find out that it doesn't, and I've spent my life pursuing that. I don't want that. God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for me. So how do I have a proper perception of worth? Here's the first thing. Number one, count your losses. Count your losses. Look at what it says in verse 7 and 8. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Like, let me consider what I had before Christ. Let me count it. Okay, I see it as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Verse 8, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Like, they're insignificant. They're worth nothing. And so earlier on in the passage of Scripture, just to give you an idea of where Paul is going here, because we've kind of jumped into this passage in Philippians, is Paul is speaking against false teachers of the day that were saying, literally, you had to obey these certain aspects of the Old Testament law, so it wasn't Jesus plus nothing, it was Jesus plus this that you need to do. So what he was combating with the Judaizers of the day And what they were trying to get people to believe is trust in Jesus Christ, but that's not enough. You also have to be circumcised. If you're a man, you need to to, uh, adhere to these certain Jewish practices that were a part of the Old Testament law. And what Paul is saying is, wait a minute. We come to Jesus Christ saying, there's nothing that I can do to ever warrant favor with God. And so he's competing against this. And what he says here is he says, hey, you think... That you're something special, that you've done these things, and therefore that makes you better than someone who hasn't done those things? Because Paul's getting at when we come to Jesus Christ, we come on level ground. There's no person that's better than anybody else. And Paul says, if anybody has a reason to brag about who he was, it's me. So look at verses 4 through 6. Paul's going to list his accolades. He's going to give a little bit of a resume. Just to prove the point That he doesn't look at these things anymore in his life and sees them as gain, and he sees them as loss. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, like if you think you have reason to brag, if you think you're better than anybody else, let me just share with you who I was. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Yeah, I did that. Of the people of Israel, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Like I was a Jew's Jew. 
a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, man, I was a Pharisee. I was part of that elite, religious elite. Yeah, that was, that was me. As to zeal, man, there was no person with greater zeal to want to obey the Old Testament law. In fact, I did it so much that I persecuted the church that said that Jesus was the only way, not the good that I do. And I, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, you want to find someone who obeyed the law? Man, I was blameless. So Paul there lists his accolades, but here's the amazing thing when you look at verse 7 and 8. You find that word gain and you find that word loss. And that word loss is in the singular, but the word gain is in the plural. See, we're all accountants. Did you know that? Like some of you may be actual accountants in here, like that's what you do for your job, but we're all accountants. And here's what I mean by that. We all have a ledger, every single one of us. And in our ledger is a loss column, and in our ledger is a gain column. And depending on how we view that ledger is going to affect the way that we live our life. It may be even affecting your mood right now. You may have come in here discouraged. You may have come in here depressed. You may, may have come in here angry. You may have come in here bitter. And the reason why is because you're looking in your ledger and you're looking and saying, look at all the loss that I've experienced since I've followed Christ. And you're looking at that column, and that column of what you think you've lost is outweighing your perspective, your perception of worth. And you're looking at what you have in Christ, and you're saying, man, I've lost a whole lot more than I've gained. Or better yet, you're looking at what you've lost, and you're placing so much worth in saying, man, what I've lost or what God has removed, or what I've had to give up since I've pursued God and pursued my relationship with Jesus Christ in a greater way. Man, I'm looking at what I lost as having more value than what I've gained in Jesus Christ. And what Paul says is, hey, the loss is in the singular. It's insignificant when I compare it to what I've gained. Paul says, man, I'm going to count my losses so that I can have a proper perception of worth, and I'm going to count them in such a way that I see them as rubbish, insignificant, in comparison to the great gain. Here's what I don't want you to hear. I'm not saying that the loss that you're experiencing right now or the loss that you have experienced is I'm minimizing that and saying it's insignificant. But listen to me, it's insignificant when I compare it to what I have in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. I think of Mark 8.36. It says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Paul says, all of that stuff that I pursued, that I was looking at as my righteousness, that I was looking as my merit with God, man, I see it as loss. When I compare it to what I have in Christ. Here's another analogy. If the ledger thing didn't resonate with you, think of your life as a trophy case. So I remember when Lori and I got married, and when we came back from our honeymoon, we stopped at my parents' house to get all of my stuff, and my mom had this big box and in this big box that she had for us to take was all of my high school trophies from the sports that I was involved in. All of those trophies. And, and so I took the box and I put it in the, in the truck. And that was part of our stuff that we moved when we were going up to North Florida to go to seminary. And I kept that box all four years that we were there. Just 
kind of forgot about it. And when it was time to move to go to our first church that we were part of in Pennsylvania, we were going through all of our stuff, and I found this box full of trophies. And so I took this box full of trophies, and I was like, I just took it to the dumpster and threw it in the trash. And Lori was like, seriously, you're going to do that? I was like, yeah, it's, it's high school stuff. Now, here's the reality. Man, in high school, those were the deal. Like, I was proud of those things. You go into my room, and man, they were displayed so that you couldn't miss them. And then they ended up in a box. Now, here's what had been super weird. If you come over to my house this afternoon, and you go in my house, and on display are every one of my high school trophies. Come on. Wouldn't you think that was a little weird? Let me tell you, I'm going to go out on a limb here, all right? So I'm, I'm, I'm on dangerous ground. If I went to your house and you had all your trophies from high school, I'm like going to be honestly thinking in my mind, 1 Corinthians 13, like when I was a man, I put away childish things. I'm like, dude, like, like it's time to move on, right? Wouldn't you think that? And so what was so important to me at one time that I put on display, it came a point where I was like, you know what, that was were great memories, and, and that's cool and great, but honestly, I didn't see the significance in them as I did one day. They were kind of insignificant, and I didn't see a big deal in throwing them away. I never would have thought that at 16, 17, and 18 years old. And I wonder in our, our life if our heart is a trophy case and we opened it up today to view it. I wonder how many of us, what we would have on that trophy case that frankly would be an idol. That we would look at and say, man, I find so much significance in this. And whether it's God out of his discipline or it's God trying to find me, he's taken some of those trophies and taken a hand and he's wiped them away. Because what he desires for us is for the one trophy to be the thing that's on display is Jesus Christ. And I wonder if some of us are angry, bitter, frustrated, discouraged, depressed because God has removed something that we looked at as having tremendous worth and so we're so discouraged discouraged and, and down because we're like, man, look what I've lost. And what Paul says is I've come to a place that the things that I had in my trophy case that God removed so that I could see him for who he is, man, they're not as significant as they used to be because I know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. See, we've got to count our losses the proper way. And the way that we count our losses and to see them as rubbish, as Paul says, is the second thing in how we have a proper perception of worth. Not only do we count our losses, but we celebrate our gains. We celebrate our gains. Look at what it says in verses 8 and 9. He says, I count everything that isn't Jesus as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And when I know Christ Jesus, my Lord, he says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What are the gains? If I'm going to celebrate the gains, what are they in this passage of scripture? Here's the first one, and it's obvious. Man, the greatest gain is my salvation. That I have a personal relationship with a holy God. That you today have a personal relationship with a holy God in spite of how you lived yesterday. 
that you today can have a relationship with a holy God because of Jesus Christ. Paul says, the greatest gain that I have is salvation. And it's not based on my righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. We spent a whole message last week on that. I can't, but Jesus did. That Jesus was my mediator. That it was his righteousness applied to my life that gives me a relationship with God. It's my greatest gain. It's not because of my righteousness, because of his. And it depends on faith. Isn't that what he says there? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, not having, verse 9, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 1.20. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. You know what's awesome about that? That today if I'm going through a hard situation, or you're going through a hard situation, or whatever it may be. And so often when we're in those situations, where it's the most comforting book that we go to, we go to the Psalms, right? Such an amazing book of the Bible. And if I was to read those and not have a relationship with Christ, here's the thing. I read those things, but they don't, they're not yes for me. Because I haven't placed my faith and trust in Christ. But as soon as I do, Paul says, all the promises that we read in the Bible, they say, yes, because of Jesus. So I read a promise in the Bible, and I ask, does this apply to me? And guess what God says? Yes. When I read this, that the Lord is my light, Psalm 27, and my salvation, whom shall I fear? You know what God says? Yes for you, Johnny. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. The amazing reality that I have, that because of what God has done for me through Jesus Christ, I've been given salvation, and every promise in this book is yes in relationship to you, in relationship to me. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And Paul says, one of the greatest gains that I have is my salvation. But here's the second thing. Not just salvation, but satisfaction. Paul says, man, when I look at the ledger, and I look at everything that God has taken away, but then I look at what everything that I've been given by God, man, he's given me salvation, and he's also given me satisfaction, because he uses that phrase, that I may know him. It's the idea that I never come to a place where I don't stop knowing him. It's an ongoing relationship. Paul words it in such a way that it expresses the longing of a heart that already knows Christ, but it literally, Paul is saying, it's my overarching, ever-deepening, ever-widening ambition of my life. It's the thing that I want to pursue more than anything else. Because my perception of worth influences what I pursue. And the greatest worth in my life, Paul says, is knowing Jesus Christ. That I get to know him more every day. That I get to experience a depth that I didn't experience before over and over and over again in my relationship with him. And Paul's intense desire was born out of love. 
because he understood how much God loved him. Paul mentions over in the books that he writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how he was the chief of sinners. Paul never tries to get across the idea that he's better than someone else. Paul was constantly reminding himself, God, of who I am without you, but who I am with you. And that intense desire to want to know God more and more in his relationship with Jesus Christ grew out of a love that he knew that God had for him. And in turn, it caused him to love God more and more. I said this at the men's retreat yesterday. What I love most is what I worship most. I think when Lori and I were dating, you know, 1998, 1997, so I never, I didn't have a cell phone. I'm not even sure they were out yet, and if they were, they were like this big, right? And uh, that was way more money than, than I wanted to spend. And I remember when I worked at SeaWorld, uh, in between breaks in college, I worked at SeaWorld in the landscaping department. I worked with a lot of other Spanish guys, and they used to go to these Spanish markets, and they used to get these amazing deals on phone cards, and I remember it was like, they were telling me, Johnny, we can get you a phone card like 25 or 3,000 minutes for 20 bucks, which was an amazing deal. And I'm like, are these things legit? So I gave them 20 bucks, took a risk. They gave me back the phone card. It was all in Spanish except for the numbers, so I knew I was good. And I remember I would call Lori once a week, once a week, on the telephone, and we would talk. Like, I didn't have a computer, so there wasn't any email. There definitely wasn't any texting. Definitely wasn't any emojis. Wasn't any of that. Once a week, Sunday nights, I would get on the phone with Lori. Now think about this. Ever you remember? Remember those phones that you would talk to, and they had a cord that was like a mile long, and you just keep on walking like out the door, around the block, whatever it was, and you had that ama- yeah, that super long cord. Like that's what I had. And so once a week, I would take that phone and I'd go all the way to the garage, and I would shut the doors so my five brothers couldn't hear me talking sappy to Lori, and I would call on that phone. And I would call on that phone, and we would talk for hours. And you remember that? You remember that? Think back then, some of you. You were like, no, you hang up. (laughs) You hang up first. You would never say this around other dudes. But you hang up. No, you hang up. Now, I never did this. But you remember, you fall asleep, you know, because neither one of you would want to hang up. And then I would write, right, and send it through snail mail. That's never done anymore, but we would do that, and we would send. We talked once a week, but, man, when I was on that phone, I didn't want to ever hang up. You know why? Because I loved her, and I wanted to know her more and more, and I still do. That's the type of language that Paul is using, but in such a greater way. That Man, more than anything else, you know what I'm satisfied with? It's my relationship with my Jesus. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, I encourage you to turn there, says this. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul's going to tell the church at Ephesus, here's what I'm praying for you. I want you to know what I'm praying for you, and here it is. Here's the prayer, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened 
with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Why? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. That you're being rooted and grounded in that amazing satisfaction that God loves you with an unconditional love that's ultimately represented through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection for you. That your roots are, roots are growing deeper and deeper into your relationship with Jesus. It's personal. That you may have the strength, verse 18, to comprehend so that you can grow in your understanding. So you can know, comprehend with all the saints. Look at this. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer for that church is that they would grow more and more to understand that God's love for me can't be measured. It's too deep for me to understand. And I will continue to grow in it more and more and more and more. And as I pursue the worth of knowing Jesus Christ, of growing in that relationship with him, that will be the thing that I pursue because I'm perceiving what really has worth. It's the only trophy in the trophy case. When I compare the ledgers and I look at what I've lost, or even after a follower of Jesus Christ, what maybe God has taken away or circumstances has taken away, and I look what I have and say, God, I have salvation with you. I am satisfied in you. The gain so much outweighs the loss. Here's the language that Paul is using. Like my favorite dessert is cherry pie. Now, as I say that, please, I don't want anybody to make me a cherry pie because I don't need it. But at the same time, that doesn't mean it's not my favorite dessert. I love cherry pie. Love it. Can I say that? Love it. Can I say that again? I love cherry pie. And so when I look at this passage of Scripture that I may know Christ, it's this idea, just imagine with me, like I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I'm hungry. So just think of that cherry pie for you, whatever, if it's something else. Another thing that I love is bread pudding, but I'm going to stick with the cherry pie. And the cherry pie, and think about it, that I go to that cherry pie and I cut into that, cut me a piece of that cherry pie and I put it on my plate and I put my fork into it and I eat it and I'm like, man, this is so good. But then I take another forkful and I'm like, man, that bite was better than the bite before. And I finish the whole piece, and it keeps getting better and better. And I go and I take another piece, and here's even what's better than even the taste, is I don't gain any weight no matter how much cherry pie I eat. And no matter how many pieces I take and no matter how many forks I put in my mouth, there always is more pieces in the pie pan. And it never goes away. Like, that's heaven. I'm convinced there's going to be pie in heaven. That's heaven. Paul's saying the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is no matter where you start and you growing in your relationship with him, it continues to get better and better and better and you know him more deeply and more deeply and more deeply after that in your relationship with him. Paul says, man, there's such gain in the satisfaction that I can have in having a relationship with Jesus. That's Paul's point. And it's interesting that 
Most commentators believe in the dates of when this book was written in Philippians that this would have been 30-some years after Paul's conversion. I wonder how many of us, 30 years after we placed our faith and trust in Christ, do we say what Paul said? My greatest reward is Jesus. He's my salvation. He's my satisfaction. Here's another thing he is. Look at what it says in the second part of verse 10. That I may know him, and he says, and the power of his resurrection. Like there's great gain in knowing that he also gives me his strength. Salvation, satisfaction, but also strength. Because I don't know about you, but that takes tremendous strength. A strength of perspective that no matter what I've lost, that I can still concentrate on the eternal gains that I have. And to be able to live my life in such a way to where I'm not going to allow those things that may be taken away from me to discourage me, to get me down. But I'm going to continue to live with joy because I understand that the greatest gain that I have is what I have in Jesus. That takes strength. I can't muster that up. You can't muster that up. And when Paul says, man, I rejoice that there's tremendous worth in knowing the surpassing worth relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's salvation and that's satisfaction, but man, that's strength. I understand that Christ's strength had the power to save me, but it's also the strength of the power to sustain me through whatever it is. Here's the last one. Not just salvation and satisfaction and strength, but this one's probably going to cause you to raise your eyebrow. Suffering. If you're like me and I read this passage of scripture, I'm like, all right, Paul, you had me at the salvation piece. You had me at the satisfaction piece. Praise God, you had me at the strength piece. But suffering, seriously? Look at what he says in the second, last part of verse 10 and into 11. He's just going through this laundry list of gains that he has in Christ. He says, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Paul understood. If you are a follower of Christ and you spend any time in church, you know that Paul's life was not circumstantially easy. He understood this reality. That the deepest moments of spiritual fellowship with the living Christ are at times of suffering, times of testing. Because I don't know about you, but there's an element to where my growth in Christ happens in a different way during times of testing and suffering than, than what happens in good times. And I praise God for those good times. And I praise God for times that he shows his blessing on me, whether that is in any circumstance or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, we praise God in those things. But there's a, it, our growth gets ratcheted up in a way that is irreplaceable. In times of testing. And Paul understood that. Listen to me. This is on the screen. I want you to get this. I want to give you this perspective. Because it's what Paul is getting at. God gives his most difficult assignments to his best soldiers. Right now you may be going through a time of testing. A time of suffering. And it is hard. Immeasurably hard. Depending on what it is. But here's the amazing thing. God never allows us to be tested above what we are able, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
And what Paul is saying is, is the suffering that I've had to endure, I look at it and I'm like, God, you knew that where I was in my walk with the Lord and the strength and the way that I've grown in you by knowing you more and more, God, you would not have allowed me to go through this if you did not know that I could endure it. So God, I actually thank you because I know what this suffering is going to produce in me in my walk with you and that you would count me worthy to actually be a testimony to other people who are watching of you in me. That's Paul's point. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says this, Therefore, I am well content. Interesting, he said, doesn't say content. He says, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. He says this in 2 Corinthians early on in the book, 2 Corinthians 4. Starting in verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Like he compares us to jars of clay. We're fragile. We can break. But here it is. Here's the treasure in jars of clay. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. That's in those times of suffering that I have the amazing privilege to show the power of God, to show what his relationship with me is doing in my life when I encounter suffering. That I have that amazing opportunity that though I don't necessarily run to it, run to suffering as some masochist, but when it comes, my God, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul says we're afflicted in every way. But here's, here's the reward, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but here's the gain. We're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but here's the gain. We're not forsaken. We're struck down, but here's the gain. But not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. That no matter what happens to me, I will always have my relationship with Jesus Christ. He is my gain. He is my reward. And why? Why would I look at suffering as gain? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies to others. We have people in this room right now who are going through tremendous suffering. And here's what I know. It's been an amazing privilege to see you walk through that and testify to others that are watching of not your strength, not satisfaction in stuff, but that your reward is Jesus Christ and you displaying to others that what makes you different when the world looks and says, how can that person keep going on? How are they not in a fetal position in a corner? Is because of Jesus in you. That's great game. John Piper says this, this is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering. suffering. More, commit, more contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. As we close this morning, I want to ask you a question. It's this. And I want you to know that I've asked myself this this week in my own life. Because isn't it easy for us to concentrate on the lost column? 
Isn't it easy for us to take those trophies that at times we see as insignificant and start putting them back on the shelf? It's this question. Do I value the reward of gaining Christ to the extent that all other pursuits are considered as loss? Do I value Christ and my personal relationship with him that much? Because my perception of worth influences what I pursue. And here's the thing, in my life, I can't come and grow in my relationship with Christ and see him as my reward. I can't, do, I can't come to Jesus Christ if I've never trusted him as my Savior and say, well, Jesus, I'm going to take with you all the stuff that I value and I want you to. No, every one of us that came to Jesus Christ had to lay down everything that we saw as worth and to see Jesus and praise God that those of us who are here today have a relationship with him. God opened up our eyes to realize, no, 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 Jesus is the thing that I want. And so if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that God has said to you, Jesus is what I need. He's my reward. But for others of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, here's what often happens. The things that I've laid down, I start to pick up again. And I come in here, whether it's on a worship service or on a daily basis, and I'm like, Jesus, I know you need to be my reward, but I'm not willing to let go of the things that I also see as having worth. But it's not until we lay down the things that we see at one time as having worth and we say, no, 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 no. This is loss in comparison to what I have in Jesus Christ. And what I want more than anything else is not to grow in what all this stuff that doesn't really matter, but I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ because I can't embrace Jesus until I lay down what I'm holding on to. And what Paul is trying to get to us today and what the Holy Spirit wants us to know today is that Jesus is my reward. That when I look at it, it's this. Jesus is greater than everything else. He's greater. And I want to know him Praise God I have salvation. Praise God I can have satisfaction. Praise God I can experience strength. And praise God that even in those times of suffering, that I can say, Lord, you wouldn't have given me this if you didn't know I could handle it and you've given me this to also radiate your glory to those around me. 